I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. On this episode, number 184, I have the pleasure of chatting with Sarah Javons. Sarah is a dating coach for men, and she's dedicated to helping men build confidence and land their dream relationships. You can find her on Instagram at Dating with Sarah Official. And just to be sure, that's Sarah with an H. The two of us in this episode talk about her history with a dating coaching company known as Real Social Dynamics or RSD, which you may or may not be familiar with, depending on how into that world you are. And she discusses why she decided to leave them and pursue a career as a dating coach out on her own. We discuss the general state of the dating coaching industry and how Sarah's approach to dating coaching is somewhat unique as it involves mock dates and opportunities to practice your flirting skills in real time. She also shares her thoughts on handling rejection and how to navigate sexual tension. So there's plenty of practical advice in here if you are dating. So it was super enjoyable to connect with Sarah. I've been on her podcast before, so go check that out if you like. And yeah, I hope you enjoy listening. This might be a good time to describe what sexual intercourse is so you can understand some of the things we're talking about. At very special times, they like to hold each other close. God made their bodies so they fit together in a wonderful way. At one of those special love times, the sperm from the man's body can go into the woman's body. And in spite of her piety, she sometimes desired the more solid comfort of her husband Pierre's cup. And we can jump in, Sarah. The way that I like to start is with an invitation. It's an invitation for you to share three things. Who are you? What do you do? And what are you really passionate about? Who am I? My name is Sarah Javons, and I'm a dating coach for men. What was the second thing? <laughs> what do you do? But you already kind of nailed that oh, in terms of your work. But what do you do? What do you do outside of work? Uh, outside of being a dating coach, I feel like I wear many hats. I am an obsessed auntie to my new nephew, who is seven months old, and yeah, always there with my older sister, looking after him in the baby bubble. And then I am also a sister to my brother, who I love. Who yeah, I spend a lot of time with my family. They mean mm, a lot to beautiful. me. I do a lot of traveling, love to travel, and I'm always just out there trying different things, sports or going to different events. I just really love being in the mix. You know, when I go to a new place, I feed off that energy and I have a very childlike spirit. So, um, What are you passionate about then? I'm, I'm curious. You said family. You spend a lot of time family, so I imagine there's some passion there, but what else are you passionate about? Well, I'm passionate about people and connection and I've always had that fascination ever since I was a kid so I'd say that's what I'm mostly passionate about is the social dynamics of people and Mm. why we can connect with certain people why we don't you know the whole house of emotions that we experience and understanding them and sort of you know allowing them to have the space to breathe in this world Uh, and I'm seeing this a lot now that my sister's got her nephew it's quite fascinating to go, wow, like, and you've, I know that you've got a little one as well, Cam, and it's almost like they're this gift to, or a mirror that's held up for you to go, wow, like, what are the areas here for me that I can lean into that I've sort of left to the side here? So I'd say that's what I'm passionate about mostly, like beneath it all, it's just that human experience and what that means and how we can make it the best possible experience on, yeah, in your life. Yeah. And you mentioned two words there that I'd love to speak into a little bit more with you is social dynamics uh, and maybe as related to your uh, history in this space as well Uh, because I know you come from a possibly controversial for some listeners uh, you know uh, area of, of work and so I'm curious if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about your own journey in this uh, dating coach space. Yes, you're accurate in saying that it has some controversy around the company I got into the dating industry with. They are called Real Social Dynamics. I don't believe they trade by that name anymore, uh, but they have quite quite the colourful history. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if your listeners would be aware of the book The Game by Neil Strauss, uh, but the men that were written about in that book 
were actually my colleagues and my bosses. So I stumbled across this company when I was in Los Angeles in 2018 and got talking at some random networking event in some penthouse in Hollywood, you know, it's just how it happens in that city. There's events going on all the time. And I was at a, a phase in my life where I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had gone through a pretty intense breakup and I was sort of like, okay, rediscovering who Sarah is and what she wants to do. And that's when I met the current CEO of that company at this party and we got talking and he was telling me about it. And I thought, wow, like this is fascinating. You guys do what? You help men approach women and pick women up? I'd never really heard anything like that. And so that's what made me curious. And I went out to one of their events in LA. And before I knew it, that got a CEO, he invited me to be a coach. So he gave me two weeks of training. And then I had a two-year tour schedule around America, Australia, and Europe, where I would fly into a city, I would host a seminar for four hours, and then I would take men out into the streets, to bars, to clubs, and help them approach women. Yeah, fascinating um, fascinating story. And I would like just personally love to hear more about that, but I, I don't want to indulge my own curiosity too much. Uh, yes. But I'm, I'm curious, what led to you transitioning away from that organization? A few things led me to the transition out of that company. Uh, one was the actual team itself, I just started to notice that there wasn't unity. And for me, it's very important to feel like I'm a part of a team that has a, a goal that is connected to everybody. So like we're all aiming towards this goal, we're heading towards it. And instead, what I experienced was very separate, more individualized goals. And that didn't align with me. And I thought, mm, I don't know if I see a future if I continue down this road. And it's really tough because I was the only woman, only female coach in that company. And I was only 22 at the time. And so there was a lot of big emotions that came up in that regard. And then the other part was, I felt like what I was coaching and how I was doing it wasn't coming from a place where Sarah was owning it fully. It was more like, well, this is what, this company coaches, this is what they teach. And I felt like, well, I'll learn their ropes and I'll make sure to abide by how they like to teach. And so that was another reason why I decided to transition out and to forge my own way in the industry from the lessons that I learned from traveling. You know, I learned that it wasn't just about picking up women and having three-way makeouts and, and picking up a woman to take her home. It wasn't about that. There was things that were more deeply rooted in the reasons why men were out there wanting to better themselves in that area of their life. And RSD was one of the only places that they could go in order to work on these skills. And that's where get, my passion really got to develop is like, well, why isn't there more places where men can go to learn these skills in a safe environment instead of feeling like they have to go out and put a lot of tactics and formulas to practice? And so, yeah, that uh, at the end of what well, was just before COVID, actually, that's when I decided to leave the company for good. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, something you mentioned there is, is something that really resonates with me is, and I've shared this on the podcast before, 10, 15 years ago, when I was um, a younger man, I was interested in like developing my, yeah, you know, just going on my personal growth journey, developing a skill set to have conversations, like just learning about sex and dating and intimacy there wasn't really anyone that I could turn to 15 years ago. I, I looked and maybe I didn't look hard enough, but the people who were having those conversations, who were publicly having those, those discussions were the pickup artists, were people like, you know, uh, the folks from RSD and, mm -hmm. um, you know, Neil Strauss writing the game, right? Like that was a very, um, pivotal part of my own path in, in this space, uh, because I was looking for mentors. I was looking for men who were speaking about sex and intimacy openly and confidently and were offering community around that. And that was the only one that I could really find. So I really, uh, I really can empathize with men in those spaces, uh, who are, you know, looking for 
camaraderie, who are looking for support, who are looking for advice and guidance. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. Um, it possibly becomes a problem when those things get preyed upon by certain individuals. Um, and that's where I, I kind of see it being problematic. Because uh, I see the same thing happening with younger men today on TikTok, for example, being influenced by, we don't even mention any names. I'm sure people can yeah. think of like their go-to person in their head of, of you know, men who are gravitating towards him. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so I, I, so that, that rings a bell and, and definitely resonates with me in terms of my own, my own lived experience. Um, and we're, mm. like, I want to acknowledge I'm being a little bit coy about RSD right now, uh, because I have observed a tendency to have those conversations be removed from the internet. Um, yes. that is what I've noticed. So I'm not going too deep into that. Like I said, that's a very personal <laughs> curiosity that I have, but I'm being intentionally coy here, uh, publicly on this podcast, because I don't want this episode to get taken down. Um, and I want, you know, your wisdom to be shared. So, um, we'll move on then. And I'm curious about your work today. Like what are the type of clients that you're working with? Who are the men that you're, you're working with? Incredible men. They are the kind of men I get to work with. I feel very, very grateful for the driven men that find me because they're at a point in their life where they really want to get their dating and relationships handled. They're like how you described yourself, Cam, like searching for, you know, different individuals or different communities where they can actually go and practice this. And one of my signature services is all about creating a safe place for my clients to practice their dates. And I've actually got a beautiful team of women that I refer to as my dream girls, and they jump on and do virtual dates. And so my clients now have this safe place where we record the date. And then as their coach, I can look back and really give them life-changing feedback about how they're coming across or how they're leading or not leading their dates. Then we apply that to their real life experiences. And that's what I've doubled down with. And I'm absolutely loving it. Yeah, it's a really, really cool approach. I love the idea of practice. I have had yep. other people on the podcast who, who do a similar kind of mock date um, practice. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, and I'm, I say to my clients, for example, like if you're going to be doing a new type of sexuality experience, right, you've got to be practicing it beforehand. And so um, why not apply that same logic to, to your dating and your flirting? So yeah, big, big, uh, uh, advocate for that, I suppose. And I guess I'm curious, like, do you notice any patterns or similarities with the men that come and do working with you? Are like, are they a certain age? Are they a certain, um, demographic in terms of like socioeconomic status? Are you noticing like any patterns, Sha? Yeah, look, it's usually mid to late twenties and all the way up to early forties is what I experience. They're the kind of men that gravitate towards me and my energy and what I notice with them is some of them have very little experience or exposure to dating and on the other end of the spectrum there's men that are dating and they're having levels of success with it but not the kind that they want and one of the common themes and I mentioned this to you before we started was that there are these pleasure blocks that I've noticed and that's why I've really doubled down with the flirting practice is because a lot of these men, as soon as they learn about sexual pleasure or even their own pleasure practice, it activates all of these big emotions for them. And they're like, whoa, this is uncomfortable. Ah, oh, like talking about sex and intimacy is an edge for me. And when they overcome that, when they work with me and do these dates, they unlock something which is really powerful for their confidence and how they build attraction on their dates. So that's been something that I've, I've really noticed as a common theme with all the clients. Yeah, beautiful. Well, let's dive a bit deeper into that. I'm, I'm intrigued to hear like the pleasure blocks that you observe because I do also see something with my clients when I start to give them the permission to really explore their pleasure and start to do work around their experience or like the somatic physical experience of pleasure in and around their genitals to begin with, especially at that part of their body, right? Like there's a lot of tension there, right? Like a lot of, a lot of people in general, but a lot of men in particular have like lower back tension, have like tight groins, tight hamstrings, tight glutes. I speak from personal experience. I have that as well. And, um, and when you start to like, well, I know this is for me, I guess I'll speak from my own lived experience. Like when I started to 
um, do some more stretching. And when I start to slow down, when I start to release physical tension from my hips and from you know, my hip flexors and from my groin, from my hamstrings. And then in addition to that, I started doing some self-pleasuring practices where I was noticing more sensation, where I was paying more attention, where I was really being a bit more attentive to it. Not only was there more pleasure, of course, because that was the the point of it, but there was also more, um, there was, there was the full spectrum of emotions, right? I noticed like more grief and more discomfort and more sadness and then more joy and more uh, relaxation and more uh, bliss, right? And more joy. And then like, there's just this full uh, spectrum of emotion that started to arise up in me. And, you know, I got, I've shared this before on the podcast, but I got very small glimpses of it when I started to do yoga for the first time, when I was like, I must have been 16, 17, when I first injured my back and like the practice of yoga and Pilates and other modalities that I was doing was essentially doing that, right? It was, it was loosening up my, my tense muscles and, um, and I just burst out into tears during the yoga class, or I would just like have all this rage come up and I was just like shocked by where this is coming from as like, you know as I was doing this Pilates you know, practice. And um, what I notice now, right, is like we are holding all those emotions in that area of our body, in our ass, essentially, right? Like we tighten up in our ass, we hold that fear and anxiety there. And so when I get my clients to relax and to focus on that part of their body and release that tension, they're also releasing all the emotional baggage that they've been holding onto for such a long time. And it'll start to bubble up to the surface. So I always couple my sexual practices with emotional regulation practices as well because all that stuff starts to bubble up and they like sometimes get overwhelmed as you said they're like oh it's shit like this is too much i don't know what's going on here and um and if they don't have the tools to like navigate all that stuff that comes along with doing the you know the pleasure practices then um they can feel a little bit like no i'm not going to do this anymore so that's like yeah. my observation i suppose when i work specifically with like sexual practices um, but i'm mm -hmm. curious like how does that well, what do you notice in the pleasure blockage? I, I, I'm, I'm, I kind of gave you my experience and definition, but I, I'd love to hear what you observe in your clients. Yeah, I love that. And everything you're saying, I'm like, mm, yes, yes, yes. Uh, what I notice is as soon as I start to ask some questions that dig a little bit into their formative years, it just brings everything up. And it, it still surprises me how little we delve into our past to find out why we are the way that we are today. And so my observation is that a lot of these guys have locked away that sexual side of themselves when they're a teenager or something, they've closed the door and thrown the key away. And one client actually described it to me as opening a door that had been locked for years, going inside to find all of these things that are in the, the wheelhouse of sex and intimacy covered in dust and cobwebs and it's dark and and just yeah this forgotten realm and then what he experienced is it's like turning the light on and cleaning up the space and allowing light to illuminate what had been forgotten in there and I thought this was one of the most powerful descriptions of what I observe in men with sex and intimacy it's like this forbidden thing this dirty thing this don't talk about this thing this disrespectful thing. And a lot of that can come from how we're socially conditioned culturally and just with our own parents and our upbringing at school with our peers and things like that. All of those formative experiences are what create how they show up today. And so as soon as we start delving down into that realm, I notice um, a lot of that emotional stuff come up that has to be processed. Yeah, you, you answered my second question, which was... Oh. Uh... Yeah, what, uh, what what leads to men closing that door, so to speak, that metaphorical door. Um, but I, I, I agree with you, right? It's like societal conditioning, messaging from parents. Oh, yeah. Could also be like previous negative experiences as well. I've had a lot of yep. men who I speak to that had like shitty sex and maybe they were, because they didn't get any sex education, of course. So maybe they were like really anxious. And so they came quite quickly or they struggled to get an erection. And that happened like a bunch of times. And now they're like, oh God, I don't want to have sex because if I do, I'm going to, come quickly again, it's going to ruin the experience. And that becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy. And so they just close it down. Um, or they've been in a, a stagnant relationship for a while and the sex is quite monotonous or, you know, they yeah. can kind of tell their partner's not into it, but they don't have the confidence or the know-how to really have a conversation about it. And so like that just becomes a bit of a, a closed off door. So like, well, I'm not going to worry about getting rejected again, or I'm not going to worry about like having 
you know, shitty sex again because I'm, you know, I'm just closing the door on that. So, um, yeah, so I appreciate you, you intuitively answering that question. Um, my, so my next question then I suppose is, uh, what do you do with them to help them open that door again? What is it that, that, uh, unblocking of that pleasure blockage looks like? I would say one of my unconscious strategies is that I lead and give permission and what I mean by that is like, I will lead into the space. I have this type of personality that is very cheeky, very playful, yet being very professional. And one of my guys just the other week said this, he said, thank you, Sarah, for giving me permission to actually express this side of myself. And it's, it's, it's within every single one that I, like every single guy I'm working with is there, but they have like, they have locked it away and they haven't given themselves permission to go there. And that's what I feel like I do really well with them is to let them go into that space. And I say, um, I'm thinking of this one client in particular, I said to him, the greatest gift that you will give a woman is your ability to express your sexual desires with confidence and comfort. Because when you lead that date from a place of comfort and confidence and ease, she feels that energy as well. And that's when you have the most unforgettable dates. And that's part of my coaching is for you to step into that leadership role. And it's not the, the typical leadership role of, okay, this is how things are going to go. It's a very dynamic flow. A date is a creation that is unique to the two people that are on that date. And so one of my strategies as well is to get them on these mock dates. And I say to them, I'm not assessing you on a certain criteria. I want you to throw all of that out the window. I want you to focus on being as present as possible and attentive to what comes up in the interaction. So there's things that we work on outside of that training room, but really what I'm most interested in is seeing how they can uninhibited, like what's that word? Uninhibitedly. Yeah, <laughs> express, <nailed it>. yeah <laughs> express who they are because, you know, another uh, trail that we go down is, is how people really use alcohol as a crutch. For example, when they go out to build up the confidence, yeah, <laughs> which uh, I see happen a lot. And I've had clients that really have had to work with easing back on being reliant on a substance like that. Yeah, I was, for those of the, that, that weren't watching this, that were listening to this, I was giving a big point to myself because that definitely lands and, and hits home for me. Uh, my, yeah, my, my, my formative years, my teenage years, I suppose, it was very much reliant on, on booze. And I, I challenged myself to go a year without drinking just to, to see that I, that I could do it because I was very much reliant on it. And to the point that I was using it as an excuse, right? Cause I was having really shitty sex and I, you know, was, you know, I was drinking to the point where I couldn't get it up. So I was just like, well, you know, I was super insecure about my masculinity and, and my sexual performance anyway. So I was like, well, I'll just drink to oblivion. And that way, if I have shitty sex, which I probably will, I can just blame it on the alcohol and became a way to, to scapegoat the whole situation to like bypass any work. Right. And then it could just be a funny story that I tell my mates at the end of the day. Right. Oh, fellas, I was just too fucked up. It was just, you know, and so yeah. it was my way of not dealing with any of the underlying issues. That was, um, that was my relationship with alcohol and it's very much shifted. Um, that's probably about 10 years ago. So it's, it's been a bit of a shift for me, but, um, but yeah, that rings a bell and definitely true for, for a lot of other men that I've speaking, spoken to. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about these mock dates, I suppose. Like that's where my curiosity is pulling me. Cause I, would love to hear about like, because you said it's online, right? Is that correct? Yes. Right. And what, like, what's the setting? Are they like, okay, we're doing an online date, but it's like, you pretend you're at a restaurant or like, are you going like, what's, what's the situation? It's very simple, the situation. And I've made it that way because it's about the two people that are connecting and when you add too much context, it like takes people out of the present. So how you and I are right now, Cam, this is how the virtual date goes down. You and I hop on. This is our first date. We have 15 minutes together. Oh, nice. That was going to be my, my follow-up was like, how long are you expecting? Yeah, that's it. 15 nice. minutes. Some people think, oh, that's not a very long time. Once you do it, Usually I get the response, wow, 15 minutes is a long time, Sarah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it can, when you get stuck on a date and you're not sure where to go, that silence can feel like three hours of just 
oh my god what do I do now what what question do I ask next and it's designed for you to experience that when this is why I break it up to make it simple the first five minutes you're breaking the ice some awkward nerves and everything and uh, you know how's the weather where are you from the middle part that middle like five ten minutes is about digging a little bit deeper and having some more fun with one another so yes you have some deep conversations you're obviously getting to know them the key though is to bring in the flirt flirting and the playfulness in that middle section then the final five minutes is really about tying things up and leaving the experience either on an emotional high or with some plans that are set in place for when you're going to catch up next yeah nice i, I quite like the little formulaic approach uh, partly because we kind of need it at the end of the day, right? Yeah. If, we, if we're if we doing this type of work and we're not sure how to speak to someone or how to get some flow going, it's helpful to have some structure, right? And the I think what you said before is like, how can you be as present as possible in those moments? Because, you know, there is that, you, you, that, that, that finding the balance between like too much structure and, you know, being rigid and being like, oh, I've got to follow this like next step. I've got to say this yeah. next word. I've got to escalate this thing, right? Like that's a very neil strauss you know rsd yep. maybe approach right um with like well how can i just be in you know how can i have like no structure right and just like go with the flow and just like allow whatever to comes up to come up it's like that's also okay but it's not super helpful either right because we want some guidance we want a little bit of like direction yeah when you say that to a guy who overthinks it's like the worst thing you could possibly say it's like, yeah, yeah right flow, whatever and they're like free you can see them freak out their eyes are just like what what, what, what? <laughs> I had a um had a uh, client of mine say that the re- the advice that he received from dating uh, for dating from a uh, therapist was I just treat women like human beings and he was like what the fuck does that even mean how the fuck do I even do that he's like I treat everyone like human beings if people are human beings what what are you what are you talking about and so um so he was like so I need some some guidance right I need a little bit of like here's what to say first here's how to like you know, how do I finish a conversation? Do I just back away like Homer Simpson into the bushes and just like hope I never see them again? Like what's the, what's the protocol there? So, um, so like it, it is helpful to have that, that structure. Like I don't want to throw the the whole, um, baby out with the bathwater with regards to structure. I've, I know I've railed against pickup yeah. artists before, but it, there's definitely like some value in having a bit of like a, a, a protocol. That's exactly, I came full circle with it because I was very much emotionally driven, like go with that flow. Uh, but really when you boil it down, there is structure to it and logical thinking is fantastic. A lot of guys go, you know, well, a lot of people out there even tell you stop being logical, stop being so logical on your dates. However, the logic or the structure that's in place allows for the emotional flow to take place. If you don't have that, then you're just two leaves flying around in the wind. <laughs> there's no real like okay who's leading this ship or who's driving this car and that's how I describe it to my guys it's like you're the guy that's hopped in the car you're in the driver's seat where are you going to go you can drive on the highway you can go the scenic route you can stop the car and be like hey let's get out and look at the stars here or let's like go down this little trail you're the one that can make those decisions and what I've observed time and time again is women will follow your flow they'll follow your energy so where you want to go, they'll come with you. And let's, coming back full circle to sex and intimacy, if you never bring up intimacy on your date, chances are she's not going to lead you there. You're going to leave that date thinking, oh, she was a little bit conservative or didn't want to talk about those things. The reality is you didn't want to talk about those things. And so I always say you might meet a version of a woman. When you show up differently, you're going to meet a different version of her. And that's what's really powerful to unlock when you start to do this. It's like, wow, like you have such a more expansive way of thinking about connecting with a woman on a date. It's like the world is your oyster. Yeah. I often, I often talk about sexual leadership with my clients. And one of the things that I talk about is, um, leading by example, right? Like if you're, um, like that's what sexual leadership is at the end of the day, it's not leading hierarchically, it's leading, you know, laterally, uh, by going like, Hey. Uh, the, the analogy that I share here is like, you've come up to like a body of water, right? You're jumping into the pool or you're jumping into a lake and you kind of get your kid off first and you jump in and you're like, oh, fuck, this is amazing. The water's fine. Come on in and join me. You know, it's that like leading by, by vulnerability, leading by example. And so similarly, if you're like 
wanting to talk about sex and you're wanting to, you know, have those conversations about desires and fantasies or even relationship dynamics as well, right? Like maybe you're interested in polyamory. Like you've got to lead that conversation. If that's what you're interested in, that's what you desire. Like you've got to step into your vulnerability, have a bit of courage to do that. And, and you know, there is insecurity there. There is some risk taking involved. There is like some uncertainty and go like, Hey, I want to have this conversation. You know, I'm, I'm interested and, and, um, passionate about sexuality and fantasies and desires. I feel like it's an important part of my life, you know? So like, I want to have those conversations. You want to, do you want to join me in that conversation? Right. And, and, and put the, you know, put the question to that date, right. And, and, you know, allow them to have agency and autonomy and, and make a, you know, and you can consent to it. Right. Cause they might be like, yeah, no, no, I'm, I don't want to go there. You'd be like, great, cool. No problem. Thanks for letting me know. I just wanted to let you know that it's important to me. So I would still like to have a conversation. We don't have to have it right now, but if that's, you know, if we're going to continue this at some point, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to go down that road, but, um, yeah, but putting that, that on the table is important. I've got, I've got a couple of things to add there. I love that. This is juicy to me. And I describe it like planting seeds. So you might plant a bunch of seeds and some of them sprout and some of them die and they don't sprout. That's okay. That's part of getting to know somebody is like, Ooh, let, let's see how they respond to this. Or, okay, cool. Then they're not comfortable with it. That's all right. It's like, it's good to find those things out in the first couple of dates. That's the whole point. A date is simply an activity where you get to know each other. That's all it is. And, um, a client of mine, actually, Cam, I have to share this with you because it involves you. <laughs> he, what Cam was just describing there about, well, this is something that I care about. This is important to me. And so if you're not bringing up topics of sex and intimacy, then the other person doesn't know it's important to you. This client of mine has, you know, begun his journey into this space. And one of my recommendations was to listen to Cam's podcast, because if you're consuming things like Cam Fraser's podcast, you know, for experiences being a sex coach, and you're watching things or content or consuming things that are teaching you about sex and intimacy, when you're on that date, it becomes a lot more natural for you to bring it up. It's not like, oh, like I've got to bring up this question. Instead, hey, I was listening to um, this sex coach for men, Cam Fraser, the other day. And he was talking about how you can experience pleasure from your toes all the way up to your nose on the top of your head. <laughs> I like the toes to nose though. I like the alliteration and then the rhyming of that. That's quite good. Toes to the nose. It's um, probably how my brain thought to remember <laughs> it. And um, it was seamless. It was seamless. There was no awkwardness in the way that he brought it up. And this is a guy that two dates before this in his training, he was avoiding all conversations about this. At all. Now suddenly he's opened something up and it was beautiful. Like you would watch that and think, wow, like he, he's just a guy that's interested in that and he's sharing that with this woman. Uh, so yeah, I just thought it's important to bring that up as just a practical thing. If you want to bring more intimacy into your dates, start consuming stuff in your personal time so that it feels really natural to transition when you're on the date. Yeah, 100%. That's really lovely. Firstly, uh, thank you for, for recommending the podcast to one of your clients. That's, uh, I feel really humbled by that. Um, and also really recommend the same, um, the, the same advice, you know, go read a book, pick up a book. That's something that you're interested in. If you, if you know, go read Esther Perel's book, for example, right. Mating in captivity mm -hmm. or go read fucking well, who knows who, whoever Chantelle Oton's got a really great book around sex education for adults. Like just go and pick up a book or yeah. listen to a podcast or just watch a TV show, watch bloody, um, oh, I'm not going to spruik any TV shows. Fuck them. Um, they don't need yeah. <laughs> but, like go watch a TV show about sex and sexuality, right? Maybe not one of the, the reality TV shows about like, you know, fuck boy Island or something like that. Who knows? Oh, but, um, <laughs> but like, you know, start engaging with it. If it is something that you're genuinely interested in, passionate about, like go and do some reading, go and you know, yeah. listen to some shit and, um, and yeah, and stoke that curiosity for yourself not necessarily because you have an agenda of like trying to bring it up with someone else, like do it because it's something that you are curious about. Right. Yeah. And something's the, something that's worth mentioning here is the objective isn't, or the goal isn't to bring up sex to get sex. That is something that I do have to talk to my clients about is perhaps you've been taught or when you, you know, in your formative years, it was like, well, you flirted with someone because you had, you wanted something to happen that was sexual. Once you're an adult, it's kind of like, 
learn like relearning or creating a new understanding and experience of how you can talk about intimacy and it not mean that you have to get to sex as the end goal it's not like oh wow because we're talking about sex now that means it's going to happen no not at all just because you're flirting doesn't mean something has to happen either and I feel like women tend to be a lot better at this is like we can flirt for fun we can flirt for the experience of it Whereas I find for men, it's a harder concept to grasp. It's like, oh, we're just flirting for fun. Like there's not, well, she's flirting with me. It must mean she wants me, right? Well, no, might mean that she's just feeling flirtatious. She's experiencing the feeling of flirtatiousness. That very much rings a bell for me as well um, with regards to like talking to men about sexuality and sexual expression and dating. Um, You know, I often make the joke that like a lot of guys like, think that the waitress is hitting on them or, you know, the stripper wants to go home with him because they like just being nice to him, you know, or like (laughs) being a little bit, you know, playful and flirty. Um, and I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why that might be like, there's some good research to suggest that like men overestimate women's interest. Um, and you know, we can talk about like why men are lacking those like social perceptions or, you know, you could talk about the evolutionary reason for it. Right. Um, but uh, nevertheless, that is like something that is that is definitely happening. It's an observable observable phenomenon, and so I really like that idea of like you could just be playful about it. it doesn't have to lead anywhere, right? And um, and I think that's uh, like taking that agenda away is really really helpful. So do the same thing with sex, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of guys are like trying to get to the end goal, trying to like get yeah. towards penetration, trying to get towards orgasm, trying to do something and have like this linear. This is the next step, um, which often shoots both partners in the foot, right? It shoots him in the foot because he feels like this expectation of like, I've got to get an erection out, God, I got to last a long time. Those things start creating more anxious thoughts and, and that manifests as like typically him having sexual issues. Uh, and a lot of women feel that like pressure to be like, oh shit, I got to like, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not lubricated enough or if I'm like not um, making enough noise because he's like, putting all this effort in or like, you know, whatever, like it's one of the reasons why women will fake orgasms because they feel this pressure from, from men to like get to the next thing. Um, and a lot of women tolerate that because they're not encouraged to speak up quite a lot with regards to their sexual desires. So it's not conducive for good sex to be like super goal oriented. And the same thing I feel like is true, um, to some extent with, with regards to dating, like take that, that goal out of it, take that agenda out of it and be like, how can I just be present and playful and connected with the person that's in front of me? Yeah. And it's just a sprinkle of structure. Once again, guys, it's so, um, there was a client of mine who would always get to the end of a date. And he would give them a hug and they would part ways. And he goes, Sarah, I just can't seem to get, you know, to a point where we can kiss or, you know, escalate it to somewhere else. And so I said to him, well, it's about creating the space for it to happen. It might not happen, but if you create the space, then she can either meet you in that space and she has the choice of whether to kiss you or whether she doesn't want to. So next time we went on a date, I said, at the end of the date, when you hug, instead of doing what you've been doing, where you give a hug and then walk away, I want you to give her a hug. It's just a little bit longer and then pull away from her. So there's just a little bit of space between you and her, like both of your faces, (laughs) but your hips are still connected. And just like, look her in the eyes, in a not creepy way. And then Honestly, he went and tested this and he said, Sarah, we kissed. It was incredible. I just held the space and then she met me. She actually came forward to kiss me. And the way I see that example is he created the space for something to happen or something to not happen. And that's what's beautiful. And for me as a woman in my personal dating experiences, they are always the best when a man creates the potential for something to happen and I can be my beautiful, sexy self and choose to do something in that moment with him or not. And one of the hottest things that I have had with a guy is when he says, no, I don't want to have sex with you. (laughs) Because it's like, what do you mean? And now suddenly it gives me this fun and playful challenge. Like, oh, is that right? And I get to be my sexiest self to seduce him. And he's able to just hold, hold, hold. Whether he really wanted to do something or not, he was able to have that self-control, which was extremely tantalizingly sexy for me as an experience. 
Yeah, and I think you're speaking to something um, here which is important to acknowledge, which is like that neediness. Like a lot of a lot mm. of men that I speak to, like because several reasons for this, I suppose. You know, if I just like rapid fire them, is like a lot of guys don't have a lot of opportunity for intimacy with people in their lives, especially with women. That's like platonic. So the only avenue they get that is through sex, right? Is through like specifically explicitly sexual connection, um, and. And then on top of that as well, there's messages that like, if you don't have sex, then you're a loser or like you're less of a man and things like that. So a lot of guys feel that pressure to like really pursue sex, um, several other reasons as well, but those are the major ones that I can think of immediately. And because of that, then there is this like, because of that agenda, right. And, uh, and like, and I say this to guys that I work with, like women will pick up on that. If you're like leading with this, like needy, like if we don't have sex, like something, you know, this is going to be. It's going to be a failure of a date or like, this is what I'm really wanting. Like if, if you're coming with that energy, um, they'll notice your date will notice your partner. Like if, even if you're a long-term partner, like your partner will notice that if you're like leading with that, like neediness and that like, um, clinginess of like, I need to have sex. And if I don't like, you know, it's going to be the end of the world. Um, so I think like to, to, to piggyback off what you, what you shared just then, um, personally, like that idea of being able to be like, Hey, sex isn't the be all and end all right now like yes it's something i enjoy something i'm passionate about and something that like i would like to do but we don't have to rush it you know like let's have fun you know let's 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 um let's flirt a little bit longer let's play a little bit longer let's like hold that the like the, that beautiful sexual tension a lot of guys feel uncomfortable holding sexual tension they um what i what i what i notice this translate to sexually as well is like um a lot of guys will come quite quickly, right? They, they mm -hmm. have difficulty holding pleasure in their body. They have difficulty like being in an erotically charged space. And so that spills over very quickly. Right. And they're like rushing to penetration. They're like, they're rushing to ejaculation they, and they end up like ejaculating quite quickly. It's like what I'll call like the energetic reason that premature ejaculation exists. Um, but I see that not only necessarily explicitly, only sexually also see it in like the dating and relationship space, right? Like a lot of guys don't feel comfortable like being in that flirtatious space or being in that playful, erotically charged space. They feel like they've got to, you know, maybe it's like a, you know, you could talk like it's a masculine thing, right? They want to penetrate. They want to like do something mm -hmm. with it. They want to like, and th this is why I often talk about like the, the guys that think like the waiter is hitting on them, right? Because if there's like, or the stripper that's, that wants to go home with them, like it's because when they're, a lot of guys, when they're in that, erotic container let's say like they feel like they have to do something about it they feel like they have to like escalate it to the next thing they feel like they've got to take it somewhere um and again that's like societally conditioned i i have felt that before like if i didn't do that then something was wrong with me right i felt like if i wasn't a man if i didn't try and escalate this to the next step um rather than just like lingering in it and like spending time there and enjoying myself and i felt like that was not acceptable for me as a man um so that's you know one of the reasons why i think guys do it um, but like just getting comfortable in those spaces, like spending more time in those really playful, pleasurable, erotic containers is, um, such a big, valuable lesson for me personally. And something that I, I share with other men. Yeah. Look, I think sexual tension is a tough thing to get comfortable with. And I don't believe that let's say a date should be all sexual tension. Think about how emotionally draining that would be if you were in a sexual tension for the entire 90-minute date or however long it is. It's important that there is breaks between that laughter. So you might be looking at each other and, and feeling that sexual tension bubble up and then she might break uh, with laughter or you might look away. You didn't fail in that moment. A woman is actually very grateful if you are aware enough as a man to have those intentional breaks out of the tension, you might break the ice and talk about something else and come back to that feeling. So a few moments of sexual tension really add up on a date rather than let's say 20 minutes straight of sexual tension. Because she'll remember that when I leave the date, I'll remember those moments throughout the experience with you. And that's what I'll be replaying when I'm at home on the couch or lying in bed. It's like, ooh, that feeling was so intense. So it's kind of like having a, a, a sugary treat or something. 
So you have a couple of delicious chocolates throughout the day. <laughs> you don't want to, to eat so much that you feel sick. That's the way I describe, you know, sexual tension and how much to have of it during your dates. Yeah, I quite like that. And um, yeah, I think it's a, a pretty good approach. I mean, I'm not speaking from any fucking experience here for the last <laughs> eight years, having been in a monogamous yeah. relationship. But, you know, I still try and do dates with my wife and we, we play around yes. with that, that sexual tension anyway. So um, what about rejection? That's a big one that I, I notice for, for my clients and I imagine it's probably big for your clients as well. Um, how do you help them navigate that? There's no way to avoid rejection. Hmm. There's no way of avoiding the, let's say, cold water you've got to jump into or something. It's like getting comfortable with rejection and reframing the relationship you have with it is important because if you don't know, understand rejection, you don't understand what it feels like, then you don't understand what it's like on the other side of it. You know, it's like, I think it's important to invite rejection and to respond to it differently. So you can't control whether someone rejects you. You can control how you respond to a perceived rejection. And one of my colleagues, I, like, I feel like he does this really, really well. I remember having him on as a guest and he describes rejection like as being a yes, not a no. Now, before everybody jumps the gun and starts believing that no means yes, that's not what I'm saying. He takes the no as an opportunity to respond in a way that creates a little bit of play and friction between them both because two people in harmony usually don't fuck. When there's sparks, it's usually because there's a little bit of friction. So if somebody, you know, says says no to you, you could say, oh, okay, cool. Like, or let's say the classic one that happens a lot. Oh, I've got a boyfriend. You're out, see a girl, talking to the girl. She says, I've got a boyfriend most guys turn their back and walk away. They go, well, that was, she rejected me. She said she had a boyfriend. Okay. So you're saying that if someone says they have a boyfriend to you, that's you walk away. I know personally, I've said I have a boyfriend when I haven't just to get a guy to go or to even test is that or why the only reason he's come up to me. And something I, I, invite guys to do is if somebody says let's say the boyfriend thing it's like oh cool like how long have you been together you adapt to the scenario that's playing out it might she might go look I was actually kidding 10 minutes later um I, I thought you were just coming up to me because you wanted something it's like oh okay but most guys never stay in long enough to find that out and so it, it's like changing from okay like you said before Cam I need something and if they say no then I've lost it it's like well actually stay in there a little bit longer. Look, if a woman throws a drink at you and tells you to fuck off, yeah, cool. Listen to that. However, if a woman is just playing and challenging you and that's the kind of game of rejection, because it can be a game and it can be a fun one. Rejection doesn't have to be this horrible experience that you go through. When, and I, I'm focusing more on like interactions in person when you're approaching a woman that you've just met. You know, it's, it's a fun experience when you know the games, you know, the rules and you know how to play the game. As adults, we play games all the time and not the bad kinds where it's like, okay, you're messing with someone. But when you get to know one another on dates, you're playing games. You're playing a series of games, whether it's I'm asking a question and you're answering it, or I'm teasing you to see how you respond and react to that. What kind of person are you? Can you have fun? Can you meet me in that space or not? And so rejection can actually be this fantastic opportunity of growth and fun in that regard of in-person interactions. On the flip side to that, I do want to comment on processing rejection in a healthy way. Like even for me, I've got a, a semi-open relationship and um, I'd set up to go on a date with a guy just the other week and flew in, you know, like got the plans all set up. And then on the day he pulled out and bailed on me and it really really hurt me I felt rejected I was like oh that really sucks and instead of suppressing or shaming like oh you know I shouldn't feel bad I allowed myself to experience the rejection of that and kind of go oof like that that really hurt and I processed it and then I was able to reframe and go okay cool so for next time Sarah you can do this or you know I've learned not to do this for next time 
Uh, and then moving forward, I'm able to see the path more clearly of my boundaries, what I want, how I want people to react to me and respect me. And I think that's, you know, an important part of rejection. So to me, rejection is full of wisdom if you know what to look for. Yeah, I like that reframing as like a learning experience for sure. I often talk to my clients about pivoting in those moments, which sounds similar to what you've just described. Like if you're doing something sexually with your partner and they go, actually, I don't really like that, or that's actually not really doing it for me. Can you stop doing that? Which is a rejection, right? At some level, you kind of go, well, typically, and I've experienced this as well, when I only had like one approach to sex um, in my younger days, it was like, oh shit, she doesn't like that. I don't know what else to do. I've just heard my, like that metaphorical turn my back and leave, right? I just kind of was like, oh, well, that's all I got, you know? But over time, and this is what I share with my clients today, is like, there's so many other ways to interact with someone, right? Like so many other ways to have sex with someone. So like, rather than being like, oh, I'm, I've stopped here. And that because that person has said no to this particular, um, you know, uh, approach to sex, let's say, um, like, I'll just pivot in that moment. I'll pivot to... Okay, cool. What, how about this? Like, this is something else that we can do. Or what about over here? Like, why don't we try this? Or why don't we just take a break for a moment and then maybe we can come back later? Like, there's holding that energy of like, hey, that's not a big deal. Like, don't, don't worry about it. Like, I'm, 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 I'm not hurt by that necessarily, or right? like, it hasn't bruised my ego. Right? I'm still comfortable and confident um, in that. You know, specific sexual scenario um, can be really helpful for creating ease for your partner for them to. For them to feel comfortable speaking up more often, because a lot of times when men, I speak again from like my own personal experience, like if feel rejected in those moments, they can take it really personally and like sometimes even get hostile as well. I, I have known some clients to like take it to a to a, a bit more of a hostile level. Um, yeah. So if you can hold that energy of like, cool, let's let's pivot let's get creative let's get spontaneous let's get flexible and like move in a different direction and do something else that's fine if you don't want to do that i've got that's not the only thing i've got up my sleeve you know there's so many other things that we can do like if you can create a bit of that more um flexible energy then um, like a a more curious mindset rather than totally yeah like an absolute oh that's the only option that there is and i mean ken like what you're describing there is not many men that have that mindset where instead of taking it really badly, like, oh my, like almost thinking, well, my performance is directly related to her response. She said, that's not good. That must mean there's something wrong with me rather than, oh, okay. So I'm learning about Sarah. I'm learning about how she experiences pleasure. Let me try something else. And so it's, it's detaching in a healthy way from the personal attack or the emotion that can be activated by somebody saying, I don't like that, or, you know, I don't want it like that, which is tough to do. Like you have to expose yourself to the flame to kind of go, Oh, all right. (laughs) That's sparked my curiosity. Do you ever have your, uh, I think you called them your dream girls. Um, do you have them mock rejection for the clients? Yeah, so I actually had a exercise called the rejection exercise when I was traveling and doing live workshops. So I would have a man come up the front with me and we would actually play out one of his worst rejections. So he would actually bring it up and go, like, you know, a woman threw a drink in my face. We would actually role play that and then reframe it so he could have some fun and go, oh, like I'm all wet or whatever. Instead of being absolutely horrified and walking away from the situation, uh, and look, it was a very confronting exercise, but I did see some fantastic results because they had, you know, they were also under the pressure of an entire room full of people watching them. So one, they're facing one of their, their biggest fears, the worst rejection they've ever had, and they've got to do it in front of a group of people. And the coolest thing would happen is, is that everybody in the room would rally and get behind them and say, try this man or do that. And so the power of the mastermind, in a way, gave them this strength, this courage to stay in there and fight in like a positive manner of like, okay, let me just experiment and play here and not walk away defeated. So I did see some incredible results and outcomes from doing that exercise. These days, I don't, I don't set up specific uh, things for my girls to do, like unless I see it as a really beneficial thing to do for that particular client. My team is very good at 
naturally putting a little bit of resistance. So being slightly closed off, but I wouldn't say that they like outright reject them. Yeah, but it is fun. I have played in that space and dabbled in it and it's pretty powerful. It, I've, I've thought about this camp of like levels of like, okay, this is easy level. This is like uh, intermediate and this is advanced. So like, as you go up, it gets harder and you get more rejections or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's <laughs> almost like, you know, that, that um, in-person version where they're reliving their most like, we might say traumatic experiences is, is kind of like um, exposure therapy in a way, right. From um, CBT. You know, reliving traumatic experiences where you have more agency and control and you can you can navigate it in a way that's much more beneficial for you um so i can i can imagine that would be yeah quite a cathartic and healing uh process for for certain people um what comes up for me i suppose if i just voice my concern is like yes historically socially guys have not been very good at reading uh, cues with regards to women's nose and also yeah. historically and socially, uh, a lot of women, like I said before, have tolerated men and have, um, not felt comfortable enough to speak up and say no. And so rather than doing a outright hard, no rejection, right. They might, as you shared say, oh, um, I have a boyfriend, right. In the hopes that that might be enough. Right. Um, yeah. And so I'm curious then, and, and like that, I, I kind of was a bit coy there as well, but like, and that has led to some pretty horrible situations, right? Um, particularly for women. So I'm curious, how do you help men feel into whether that is a playful rejection and there is maybe an opportunity to, to pivot and move in a different direction, or is that a hard, right? You know, hard line. No, I know you gave the, 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 the example of throwing a drink in the face, which I suppose is yeah, a pretty, pretty strong note, but like. <laughs> Some women might not feel comfortable really ever elevating their no to like a drink in the face, right? Like, and so yeah, that, I'm curious, that takes how do you? Serious, uh, courage. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's like to do that. yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. So um, I'm so I'm I'm curious, how do you help men read those kind of situations where they're like, oh, this is like a no, and I, I should probably like say, cool, sorry for bothering you. I hope you have a nice night and and exit the the stage right. You know, like I'm curious how you navigate that. Yeah, I I feel like the way that they learn it is through the role plays. So what we do after we film it is we play it back and I go and have a look at it minute by minute and thoroughly have a look at how she's responding. And I also send it to the woman that did the date and I ask her specifically, I go, in that moment, what were you feeling? Were you feeling like you want to engage in that or not? So it, it, it's to me, it's not just my perspective as a coach, but also her experience and then how he felt as well. Because often if he felt a little bit off in his delivery of, of how he was bringing something up, we we can usually connect that to it not feeling that genuine for her either. So it's a group experience, like working together as a team. And I also say that every woman, every person is going to be different that you engage with. Some women may have a history of violence or sexual harassment and they are going to be more sensitive to things. And so you have to take this all into consideration, but not overthink it. And that's that's the hard thing. That's the fine line of actually having tools in your kit to be able to discern whether something is quite serious. Yes, you should pull, fall back. And, oh, you know, she's open to this and she's having fun. Now, there's some classic signs that you can look for with her body language and how she's responding to it. However, it can be more difficult, especially if women have developed coping mechanisms where it's so subtle, like you wouldn't know that she's actually just being nice to you because she's so afraid. And I think it's a great topic you bring up and it's something that really needs more attention in today's modern dating culture. Yeah, something that I always try and bring into this conversation specifically is the, um, and you kind of already mentioned it, it's like, being nice or I, I have heard because I, you know, I don't do this. So I have heard from women who have said this, like the, the polite laugh, right? The, <laughs> oh, this person's like come up and this guy has come up and said something to me that wasn't, you know, that he might've thought was funny, but she didn't think so. But like to diffuse the situation, she's just laughed rather than saying, what the fuck are you doing? Or like, get away from me or something like that because of the 
because of the fear, right? Of, of like, what if I don't placate him in this? Yeah, usually he's physically bigger than you. And so it's kind of like, well, if I rub this guy up the wrong way, what will he do? What if he does lash out at me? Yeah, probably a bigger conversation here than what we have time for because we're, we're almost the hour mark. Um, but I, I thank you for, for going down that road a little bit because I was like wanting to express a little bit of like, how do we do that as, you know, as coaches? How do we help our clients read consent, right? And, um, and you can be really explicit about it and ask. Uh, but, but, you know, there are, there are more um, playful ways to do that. There are more, more approaches to, to doing that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that you are across that. Um, we are almost at time and I do like to keep things practical. So I was wondering if you had any last minute advice for the predominantly male audience. Last minute advice when it comes to developing your confidence in dating, that is my wheelhouse. I really, I pride myself in having more fun and bringing the play and something I've seen work with most of the men is if you bring that into your day-to-day life first, it has this ripple effect. So if you can bring more fun, more play into your work interactions or just going down to the coffee shop and of course, even on your dates, now suddenly you're able to normalize it as it's just a natural way that you are. And that will help you when you go on your dates. It won't feel like, oh, I've got to switch this on now. I've got to switch this flirt mode on, or I've got to switch on that, you know, I'm leading this date in a certain way. Uh, so I will just yeah, leave you guys with that is how can you bring in more pleasure and play in your day to day? And it could literally just be the way that you walk down the street and you're more present, you're more engaged with your community and the barista or the person reading the newspaper next to you all of that contributes to how you feel when you're on a date with somebody and how much you can express your your own pleasure and desire in a really healthy and playful way. I love that. Thank you so much, Sarah, for ending on that note. Just like full spectrum pleasure, right? Like what, yes. what are you doing to just enjoy your fucking life? 100% on board with that suggestion, Sarah. Thank you very much. And thank you for sitting down and having a chat with me. I'm glad that we could do this. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Cam. It's always a lot of fun. Love our deep conversations about this industry. <laughs> That's so lovely. Well, um, thanks so much again, Sarah, and enjoy the rest of your day.